Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. This is Sarah Reeves from New Society Publishers. We are big fans of the Abundant Edge podcast. Oliver's guests talk about so many of the same topics that we publish on, and he talks with a lot of our authors too. We're proud to be a sponsor of this podcast that is doing such valuable work spreading the word about how to create a finer future together. New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. If you're looking for solutions-oriented books, please visit our online store at newsociety.com, other online retailers, or visit a fine bookstore near you. Chelsea Green Publishing, an employee-owned company, is recognized as a leader in content about regenerative agriculture, organic farming, homesteading, local food, restorative living, and diet-focused integrative health. Publishing expert authors that bring in-depth practical knowledge to life with books, ebooks, and audiobooks. Go to ChelseaGreen.com and enter code EDGE30, that's capital E-D-G-E 30, at checkout to receive a special discount on your next print book purchase. And be sure to sign up for their newsletter and stay up to date on new releases and audiobooks. Chelsea Green Publishing, cultivating change from the ground up. All right. Hey, everyone. Thanks again so much for coming (laughs) and listening for the first Regenerative Roundtable of this season. I'm sitting here with Neil Haggerty, as always. Hey, guys. How you doing? And this time we don't have Jeremy with us because he's with his partner, uh, Carla, in Spain. And they're going to be there for a couple of weeks. So Yeah, thanks a lot, Jer. Enjoy your holiday. Thanks for (laughs) leaving me with everything to do here on my own. No, it's actually going really well. We've got a ton of baby goats. The systems are starting to really get dialed in. And there's quite a few new developments on the farm, which we'll get to pretty soon. But before we get into all of that, I want to let all of our listeners in on some new developments. And yeah, just the basics of it is I'm actually going to be transitioning out of the farm. And uh, the farm is going to continue in its own direction. And I'm going to start taking Abundant Edge into some new directions as well. So, Neil, kind of tell me about how this has been working out in between us. Um, yeah, I mean, this is something that I guess I, I can't say we planned like this down to a, down to a T or anything like that. But it was a good thing that we did. We left some we left some wiggle room in our in sort of the initial way that we we set up the the business arrangement. Always with the I think the this vision that you had in mind that <coughs> a really abundant edge. The principal team, the principal design and consultant CNC team is like yourself obviously with all your natural building expertise and then kind of me as an agronomist and jeremy as a as a botanist uh, landscaper um i think that was really what drew you into this this vision this project that we're starting here and essentially what 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 has transpired what you've done is you've come in you acted as a as a like a seed investor um you you lent your energy and your expertise to the project now, because of the direction you want to go in, which is more of a of an international uh, traveling online content one, you're going to tell us all about that. Um, you're going to recoup your investment, um, and we're going to stay. You, we're going to stay here and, and and focus on the farm. And you know, 
once we kind of talked it over, it really did seem like an ideal thing for an ideal thing for you and Abundant Edge to to focus on, which is this kind of um, getting projects off the ground and getting them to a kind of a homeostasis. Uh, and it seems to be, as I've got to know you, the thing that like excites you most is like the initial planning and implementation and, and relative location of elements. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, these days I'm really passionate about spreading knowledge to people who are going to be implementing it with the experience and the knowledge that we have as a team here, being able to offer this to people who you know just need a little bit of guidance and maybe a few new skills that they didn't have from the beginning. Much of what we've been teaching through the courses here in person, um, I'm looking at new ways of getting that out to a larger audience and giving them the support that they need to do similar type projects or go in a different direction, but still with regenerative skills and, and outcomes in mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this, I think it's like super interesting for all kinds of reasons because having, um, we started, we broke ground on this project about like what, 15 months ago? Yeah, it's getting around that. Yeah. Um, you know, the core team was, has really been working on it for just over a year now. Yeah. It's been about 13 months of actual on the ground work from the three of us. You know, and like amazing advances really in, in terms of where we've gotten to. Um, but also, I feel like, and this is why I want to focus so much now on, on going the last 20%. As a farm, we've, we've done, you know, the sort of like broad strokes of the design. Uh, we've got an animal system that's that's really working and is really productive. Um, we're selling through our cafe restaurant like really high quality products, organic products. But you know, having from reading Joel Salad and stuff, I've really realized that like the last twenty percent is 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 the really important thing. Um, and I also realized that you know consulting, which is what the one of the abundant edges main main wings consulting really is about passing on the wisdom of experience. You know and and so just from the last year, aside from all the kind of technical things we learned, I think that uh, we've learned a lot about um, equitable ways to structure to structure businesses between co-investors. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know I've learned a ton about that in this uh, in this experience. And I think, you know, this separation, although, like you said, it wasn't really planned from the beginning. Um, first of all, isn't a, like a full separation. No. Like you guys are going to be staying on as designers and consultants and working uh, very directly absolutely. through Abundant Edge as as that entity. Yeah, absolutely. And Gran Sikin has this on the ground um, initiative, which is going to be doing a lot of community education projects and development around in this valley, which you know we're all invested in, including myself, even though I'm going to be traveling more in the next handful of months. And I think, you know, like we talked about, the timing was really key because um, you, especially since you're getting married this summer, congratulations, by the way, um, are looking to start more of a family. And, you know, with the structure that we have of the three of us right. here in quite a small space, yeah. That was always going to be a point of contention just yeah. because it wasn't planned from the beginning. And right, to exactly. adapt it later on with the same exact structure with the three of us here and me traveling more, you maybe staying put and putting down roots and, yeah. and maybe having kids as well. Yeah, we kind of knew that it was going to get to the point where, okay, Oliver's taking off for six months. He's going to come back and my kids are going to be in his room. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, um, so it was it made sense for, for all kinds of reasons. 
Um, and I'm glad that we were just open to seeing how this was going to evolve organically um, because, you know, building a family wasn't planned in with the business side of things, but it's a huge aspect of the lifestyle that this farm is going to be encircling, in, in you know, and increasingly Jeremy and Carla, too, are kind of setting down roots and, and becoming a part of, of the ecology of this place. Yeah, that is that is definitely uh, happening. and. I'm 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 into it. I, I've always seen a lot of synergies between between us, um, and I still see that because really, what I kind of often say, I I, I decided somewhat arbitrarily that I want to make sort of ag- restoration agriculture in Lake Atitlan, this farm, this community, as like my life's work, um, and. You know, for me, that really involves getting down on my knees and, and looking at, you know, just just being as connected to the place as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I guess the difficult thing about that is economically, nobody pays me to be up at five o'clock in the morning, walking around the farm, sitting under the moon and, and meditating so that I can like draw inspiration and then just being here. Um, doing jobs that you know frankly as a as a as a designer you know a business consultant would probably tell me i shouldn't be doing um but for me developing that i guess the connection to the earth around here. yeah the connection to the not just the earth but the actual local um specific kind of set of or yeah the the local the local specific ecosystem in which we are and community and all the rest of it and there's really so it's like you say that it's not just a profitable farm we're trying to set up here it's a it's a whole social enterprise where yeah we want to make a profit but we also want to share that profit and, and spread out that goodwill f- to the community so you know there's a lot of balls in the air here there's our farm there's our community reforestation project um there's the uh, fair trade coffee buying and processing project that we've started um the composting and the use of all those excess materials around it um, we just opened a farm-to-table cafe. Um, is this a good time to go into what's going on in the... Well, here, let's move on to that real quick. Um, I think the just to kind of highlight the contrast of the directions that we're going to be moving in, yeah. um, with you focusing much more on the ground and on the community here, building those connections and using that experience when you work as a designer and consultant on other projects is going to be hugely valuable. I really respect that direction. and No, and, and vice you know, versa. I, well, and I think, too, that I'll be working towards that at a later date, but I see some of my more direct involvement and, and the projects that I'll be able to kind of invest in in, in the longer term, being more towards the suburban and the urban context, mm. just because I see not only as populations shift into that style of living, uh, I really want to explore more the opportunities for people who live in those environments to do regenerative work and not have to abandon their careers, their lifestyle, uh, the conveniences of modern living and uh, more urban living. Yep. And I feel like that's still one of the areas of holistic design, regenerative living, permaculture, whatever you want to call it, um, that's maybe not as advanced as some of the farming aspects and some of the land-based aspects. So I love that our, our, the the, (laughs) the diversity of our team and the 
the amount of experience that we're going to be getting from these two different contexts is going to add so much value to the clients and the projects that we help along the way for having this diversity of perspective. Yeah, for sure. And no, like I say, I'm, I'm into it because um, I think what I was what I was trying to say earlier is um, for me, it's exciting to know that I can really, really like hone my, my skills here, hopefully in the in the development and the refining of the rest of this uh, farm and sort of wider community social project so that in, you know, six months, a year, two years, four years, five years, I can start consulting on increasingly bigger projects and extending my influence, which there's no way I would be able to do just up here on the mountain on my own without having sort of you out there with this sort of international platform that crosses boundaries and and sort of excites people. Uh, and like I say, already, I feel like just having gone through the last year, um, even though I had, you know, plenty of design and experience and, and education behind me when I started it, what we've learned from both a technical and a sort of subjective uh, human point of view, I think, I think will in the future prove to be invaluable. And um, because really my main motivation for doing this, and especially my main motivation for being involved in the Abundant Edge is I want to see more projects succeed. And I'm, yeah, definitely. And I'm learning more and more having gone through kind of like some of the trials that we've gone through and then overcome but seeing other people fail with similar types of problems, mm. um, I think it's going to be a very valuable sort of high value service that, that we can provide in the future, not just on the sort of landscape design and, and, and natural building, but also around um, how to structure agreements between communities of enthusiastic motivated people who want to like get things done yeah um because like i say it's defining it's, it's so goals multi- defining direction it's a lot of a, things that people business. do on faith in the beginning and there's something to be said for that i mean if you can't start with with some faith and trust absolutely yeah. in other people absolutely definitely don't get in into business with yeah. them or or worry about that collaboration no but, and i think that was kind of a thing that me and you had from the start which was like okay we don't exactly know how 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 this is going to go but what we do know is that we're we're both trustworthy, honorable people. So mm. we worked from that assumption and we were always very careful about how we communicated with each other. And, you know, things like that, uh, things like that are hugely valuable. But then also, you know, I know I learned a ton about it in this last year. Yeah. I mean, you know, as much as getting the farm and the building started and everything, I really think the, the biggest thing that I got out of this last year was communication. Uh, learning how to work within a very close-knit group like this where we're actually sharing a lifestyle, not just a business model. And the unexpected things that can come up and how to deal with it uh, from a mature and, uh, I guess, a a perspective of realizing that it's part of something bigger Mm -hmm. and that your needs or your wants need to somehow fit within a group mentality and define the direction that we're going to be working on together. Mm-hmm. And when you get everybody rowing in the same direction in sync, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's amazing what we've been able to do over this last year and the people that have been inspired by what I would still consider a very fledgling project. Yeah, totally. It is a very fledgling project. But yeah, it is. It's that thing of like um, Chewy, he came, who came here, just said it was like, oh, uh, El, vien, el viento en, en popo, I think, en pompo. 
He says that it's an expression in Spanish. It means the wind is like the full wind is yeah, at your sails. Yeah, it's And it's definitely felt like that for like a lot of this year. Where, mm-hmm. um, I know it's been, I think, more of a challenge to actually keep up with all of the momentum and, and stuff. Even though we're a small group, I, in the beginning I was really worried, oh, we're not going to be able to move forward fast enough. We're not right. going to uh, have the support or the funds or whatever it is to move at the pace we want. And frankly, it's been kind of the opposite. Yeah. It's been keeping up with the momentum that's been a bigger challenge. Yeah, and definitely. some of the reactionary things of dealing with a design in life as it starts to evolve on its own yeah. and interact with the other systems at the same time that, I mean, you can crunch the numbers and do all these sort of uh, predictions for the future, but you really don't know until it starts. Yeah. Especially when you're working with animals. Uh, plants obviously kind of mature and grow at a rate that is a lot easier to maintain and observe. Yeah, but just animals, living... like within hours, something could go wrong. Yeah. With just living systems in general, I think that I think that there's a lot to be said for um, going like slowly but surely, but definitely starting. Um, yeah. I guess it's the luxury that you have a little bit as a as a designer of these systems over say uh, building a house is that you can really like like do what we did with the composting animal house just sort of build a cheap somewhat temporary but functional structure mm-hmm. which we're now that we've see we see that it's working and we and and, and we see that it it, it, it can be expanded to be the centerpiece of the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but so building can, it that way in, in sort of a small kind of with recycled materials and patched together, yeah. I think is a model that anyone should follow, especially if they're on kind of a limited budget yeah, and they have time to work with. Yeah. Because what we've been able to do with that way of building uh, kind of n- – I don't want to say non-essential infrastructure, but maybe um, very low criteria for initial yeah. start is that you can watch how it works in mm-hmm. real time over, you know, the weeks and months as the different animals uh, interact with it. And the amount of small alterations that we've made in the last year yeah. have transformed it from what it w- originally yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. The access ports, the feeding areas, yeah. the extension for new goats as we got them, right. uh, figuring out a semi-permeable barrier where chickens can come in and out but the goats can't. Yeah. Um, and now the extensions that you're planning for further use of the place, like that has saved us a ton of money than if we had you know, designed what we thought was perfect from the beginning, built it all out really well, permanently and then having to go back and retrofit something that was that established would have definitely been more expensive yeah for sure um but it's i mean i guess there's different ways of doing it right i think at the end of this year we will or yeah by the time you know in in a year from now i think we will have a lot of sort of go-to prototypes in our mind for things like this for you know, a coffee or other. Oh yeah, I'm really looking forward station. to writing out and drawing out those manuals. <laughs> so there is like, I feel like there is things will become more more set, especially in how we approach projects for people who actually have the <clears throat> the investment capital to get permanent things in place. Of course. Once and for all. Yeah. 
Um, so that people can jumpstart it and not having to go through all of the learning on, process right, that we did. That yeah. we did and, and not having to be on site themselves directing volunteers and, and having the pickaxe and the, <laughs> the hammer in their hand, you know. So right. <clears throat> there's different ways you can, come up, you can come about these things. I think increasingly people are going to, you know, get some investment money together hire hopefully people like us who have the experience and just do it and do it right you know de una vez as they say in spanish but there's a beauty in doing it the other way as well if, mm. if, if you're so inclined um and yeah i mean no you know no going back to that animal house and the farm i guess the, we talked about it a lot on these regenerative kind of round table things and i think we're going to put out a video pretty soon uh but what's sort of emerged from all this is that the kind of animal system with the goats, the chickens, the coffee depulping, it, those are kind of like the coffee uh, processing and depulping and the sort of organic market garden. That's a kind of a, that's sort of four elements that we see as being like the centerpiece of the farm. And, and I think the brilliance in all of these at the moment, the way it is, is how much all of those enterprises are interconnected and feed into one another. Right. That's the thing I've been most impressed of because you know each one on its own isn't really the economic driver yeah. that can keep this place afloat. Yeah. But the way that they connect with all the other enterprises not only make the best use of all the materials coming in and out and yeah. transforming them in a very efficient way, but also the, the few waste products that are produced for each one cycle through as feed products for others. Yeah. And you know maybe the loop isn't entirely closed for any given enterprise, but it weaves in a connective way through the rest of the enterprises yeah. and that loop is almost entirely closed at that point. Yeah. I mean, I Very think, few imports I are, think, are being brought in. Yeah, the whole idea of like a closed loop goat house doesn't make sense, but it's exactly like you described. It's in isolation, like, it doesn't make sense. It's much sense. more like a flow chart, yeah. actually. Um, you know, so... Well, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, how the farm itself is advancing forward, some of the main initiatives that you're spearheading in the months to come. Yep. And certainly we'll be continuing to check in even as I go off and travel and move to other areas. Um, but tell me kind of what the projection is for the next few months. Yeah, sure. Um, no, it's this sounds a little confusing, but I think if you break it down, it's it's actually pretty simple. So everyone knows we've we've got the goats and we've got an adjacent chicken house, which is kind of built on a little slope. Um, and that essentially functions like a kind of a tumble down compost system. The goat house gets cleaned out onto the first level of the chicken house. Then that gets cleaned out onto the second level of the chicken house. And then outside the chicken house where it gets made into like hot piles of, of bokashi where it's sort of a mixture of manures. The chicken house also serves to absorb all of the waste from our little cafe restaurant and another bigger uh, cafe restaurant nearby. Um, and so, and you know, it's also where all of all of all of the organic waste from 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 anywhere we can get goes. So it, yeah, we've got a few what restaurants and businesses donating their organic waste yeah. at the moment to yeah. kind of supplement we the should, feed. We should probably be charging them for that service, but <laughs> um, yeah. So it's like that allows us 
that whole system allows us to massively cut down on on the feed for our for our chickens especially because i think you've got another podcast episode where someone talks about how disheartening it is actually to work with chickens and realize how much grain you need to feed them mm-hmm. um so we do feed our chickens grain but actually most of it is um is corn which is fermented in the in the way of the of the goats which is a, another byproduct from the goat system so you know the, both the manure and, and, and really you have to see this to believe it but when you see the amount of building the, the house so the chickens can come in in underneath and then go into the goat pen sit on their backs pick kind of ticks out of them and and also like scratch in their manure and essentially clean their house for them that plus being able to give them the high protein way uh, with a kind of mineral mix that we actually make ourselves here and uh and some locally grown corn that's a fantastic supplement or, or substitute for these kind of like concentrates um and and so that word that's a nice symbiotic thing just on its own but then just above that whole system we put in our um our coffee depulping station and again it's based off a pretty standard model um you know we just depulp the coffee take all of the and really the, the whole motivate or the whole driving force behind doing it was I really, really wanted to capture and store that energy of 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 the coffee that all that Which is comes. kind of the main cash crop of this area. Absolutely. And if it's not being used correctly, it's a waste product. Exactly. And so, you know, what I've what I've had as a vision for a long time is to have this farm as a sort of a zone one two a zone one two farm. Where we've got our animals our organic garden our forest garden which will take up about sort of 60 or 70 percent of the land eventually a diverse kind of perennial forest garden but then that our zone three kind of commercial zone instead of acquiring more land we simply want to work with the community who already do a, a quite a sustainable type of agroforestry in the sense that they grow coffee and, and shade trees mm-hmm. now they're a little bit uh there's some management techniques that they don't have that they can really really use um so it's something we're working on with with our partner tim and shangri-la uh to put together a package of uh of of workshops on management of coffee in an agroforestry system Mm -hmm. Uh, and we're we put the coffee depulper here and the great thing about doing that is we can recycle all of the waste products from the coffee uh from the coffee processing which normally get wasted and, and actually in a lot of cases kind of contaminate the lake through through leaching because the coffee pulp is a fantastically rich uh, i think it has a carbon nitrogen ratio of about 20 to 1 which for anyone who's into composting they'll know that that's like a nice number yeah yeah uh you know, it, do, it needs very little carbon to break down in a really, really efficient way. So that also goes in through that system uh, and just massively improves the the kind of quantity and quality of the of the compost we produce. Um, and so our that in tandem with offering that that compost that we produce to the to the coffee growers in tandem with um, free support species so we have a lot of uh we've talked about this in another podcast but we have a lot of grafted heirloom avocados from this area which are a great shade tree native nitrogen fixers uh and just really good hardwood um 
quite fast growing trees like Wachipilin and Cushin that are beautiful, support all these other forms of life and just happen to be great support species for the for the coffee. And then actually a series of workshops on on basic management techniques that that our friend Lorenzo is is gonna be heading up, which sort of focus around kind of like small little adjustments you can make to the pH of the soil and the amount of light that enters through pruning yeah. that can have and pruning techniques that keep it in a fruiting cycle for much longer. For longer. So you can you know, our vision essentially is to have our zone three extend right out into the community and to work with them in a in frankly a kind of like a a business partnership in a in a very you know because i cringe having been here for as long as i've been here and seen so many foreigners with their kind of like somewhat patronizing help the mayans uh projects mm-hmm. we very much see this project as more like a, a collaboration you know, it's a collaboration we're running a cafe here we want to sell organic coffee and we also don't want to see loads of chemicals leached down into the lake we want you guys to be happy that we're here. Um, you're already awesome, hardworking, uh, knowledgeable people with like a few trees uh, buying our organic compost, which is actually just mostly your your coffee grounds recycled. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can you can receive you know right now they receive thirty percent more than the going rate for when they when they sell to us. That can go up to 50% more if they become organic producers right. and if they employ some of these uh, some of these agroforestry management techniques, they can get higher yields as well. Um, so that, that brings all kinds of benefits to both uh, the community and to us, uh, but it's not going to happen overnight. The, mm-hmm. the, the running of the, of the coffee project this year was a great start because we now have like a notebook full of names and numbers and people have said, yeah, I'm absolutely interested in having more trees planted, having more support species planted on my land and coming to the first one of these workshops that you're going to run. So nice. the plan is to run that, the first of those workshops uh, in the next couple of months um and really just start chipping away at this and also you know i'm excited to to learn it i've taken courses myself on on agroforestry and and coffee management but again it's just like i can't wait to learn more about that too it's such a fascinating industry it's the second largest uh traded commodity around the world after oil yeah i mean if that doesn't give you a concept of the scale of how much this affects uh as far as uh small economies in rural areas all around like these latitudes around the world yeah latitude and altitude anywhere yep. any although just, they are growing tons of this on the coast on the yeah in lowlands I th- I, I but think, i think there's less potential for it to be a really sustainable crop <sighs> down at those areas where I it's not so, naturally right what i've noticed is when you go down when you drop in altitude just it just so happens that right where we are is almost like the perfect altitude for growing coffee here and mm-hmm. a little bit higher yeah you get this lovely and the climactic system as well yeah it's fantastic for it's amazing it. how well they do these plants uh through the drought that's about half of a year yeah uh if they didn't have such established root systems they know, do this well can be the hard drought, but again the shade the shade is, makes is, a big difference. the shade makes a big difference and that's what we've really seen with the producers who are really like and the amount of organic really material coffee. in that soil if yeah. it gets stripped then you're going to start to see them suffer during these dry periods. Yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of kind of permy nerds who are into their plants won't be surprised to hear that one of the best shade trees to use around here is the Inga. Um, mm. I think 
there's a lot of stuff on like Inga alley cropping in, in sure. tropical and subtropical uh, regions. The, there's a there's a sort of heirloom variety of the Inga here that they call the locals call the Cushine, which is fantastic for all of those things. It it drops loads and loads of leaves, keep, but keeps its leaves as a whole way throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very interested in it because it's a great forage tree for it's a great forage plant for our goats. Um, and but yeah, the, you can really see it. The 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 coffee, the cafetales, they call them, the the coffee uh, fields that have these cushines and other sort of similar avocados are also a great one um, that have these like good towering kind of canopy like shade species and this like lower level of coffee underneath. It's a fantastic, uh, it's a fantastically stable uh, system, you know and. It doesn't just provide the cash crop of coffee. You know, you can get you've, you've got your food crops from it, um, and also um, firewood. And well, carbon. one of the things that I'm so excited about around here, because the landscape is very difficult to run uh, livestock through, the way that this integrates in with the goat system that we have, and <laughs> the miracle that goats don't like eating coffee, yeah, that's is it. really convenient because yeah. uh, this can be a way of you know, giving high quality organic feed to your goats and having them do all the maintenance work on a cafetal because they're otherwise going through there with a machete and basically pruning out all of the very substantial understory that grows up during the rainy season. Like it's a thicket. And if you can get your goats to go through there, do that work for you, fertilize the ground in the process and cut down on any feed that you would have to bring in. And the way that that supports with the the gilded tree systems and the other support plants that you're talking about putting in, like I've almost never seen such a synergistic uh, system in the making as this. Obviously, there's there's some fine tuning to be done, but the base is there and it's really strong. I mean, I've become absolutely convinced about that, that with a like commercial zone three in the tropics you know a zone three commercial um system simply has to be agroforestry there is no other way of doing it in a sustainable way because we're in the tropics it desperately wants and needs to be under under forest and really like i used to think when i got into permaculture like when i would hear the word guild it would evoke an image of like a plant community mm-hmm. but now i see that a really effective guild is is a is a relationship between one or two grazing animals and a plant community yep. you know that's ideally yeah I, if you yeah. can if you can get the complexity of that i realize that a lot of people are um, a little more adverse to running animal systems for any number of reasons they definitely are higher maintenance right uh, and some people have, you know, um, hang-ups as for, like, the diet or, or even wanting sure. animals altogether. But that's a whole other topic. Yeah, but I, I, it's a whole other topic. But for me, really, if you're, if you're going to get serious about the health of the ecosystem and 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 your and meeting your own needs in a in a sort of sustainable regenerative way it's you know even up at chad's farm i love what he's done his his he has these beautiful mature food forests where he grows you know lots of turmeric um uh, taro root tree tomato avocado um nispero citrus um, but underneath he has he has those food forests fenced off and he has houses with with multiple doors so he can range uh, usually meat birds in those food forests so 
and it just works so well because he's able to raise his like good quality meat the birds are psyched down in the shade of the trees they go around and again they, they pick and they clean and they they, they cut down on his weeding enormously um, and so even though he does have to feed them some grain uh, which is kind of somewhat inevitable if you're working with chickens I think um, he he's able to create this like beautiful again guild um, and the one we're, we're one we want to focus on here is this um, is this kind of cafe tal with the with the goats and it's been good I've trained up a couple of local kids they're working in shifts now to take the goats out for uh, for for their daily walk and really what I want to focus on over the next few years is building up this relationship with our neighbors and because there's still a little bit of aversion to it they think oh your goats are going to go in and like ruin my my plantation right but you know once they see i've shown the kids it's like look if you just like climb a little climb this tree a little bit and like cut off this parasitic vine and you know prune this one a little bit this one a little bit you can bring the goats into a sort of like quarter acre spot and leave them there for a whole morning they'll eat all the parasitic vines prune a bunch of the or eat back a bunch of the undergrowth poop everywhere be super happy and then they'll come home and as long as you have that kind of like agreement with the with the local landowners and as long as you don't overtax that land if, if you keep Absolutely. them on there all day Absolutely. they'll I mean, wreck this it is fundamentals of, of you have to rotate fundamentals of, of of rotational grazing right. the animals must move in packs and they must move uh every day um and you know the standard way of doing that is like the farm the my my family's farm back in ireland they call it strip grazing you know mm -hmm. you, it's like a clock system um but we can't do that here we, we, don't, we don't have don't, the space we don't have we can't acquire that amount of land and and frankly i, I don't want to you no. know um i i'm much more interested in having a sort of a partnership with the with, with the community well what i love about that is everything i've learned about land management in any goal or con um, context here is the larger your operation the the more that efficiency and production starts to dip per the per size of land under management yeah so if you have a tenth of an acre in a suburban lot and you manage it really intensely, the amount of yield you're going to get off that is going to greatly outstrip the caloric and the nutritional value you can get off of maybe like 10 acres. Sure. Because you can't manage that ever as intensely yep. as biodynamically. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so there's like this law of diminishing returns as you start to spread out. Yeah. Whereas if we manage this with a lot of small biodiverse places linked together, the efficiency can be much, much higher. Yeah, and everyone essentially is invested in everyone it, for me i think the real meaning of like a symbiotic relationship between humans is where everyone in the organization is working in their own self-interest and in the self-interest of uh, everyone else the, uh, the collective interest the collective interest. <laughs> um so it's like uh, if you ever see the movie a beaut or read the book a beautiful mind oh i love that film <laughs> yeah that was his like as I, I understand it that was his intuition that was his um realization and that was what he like wrote Is it like the of basis his... of game theory it's the basic game theory okay yeah, yeah um you know it's that kind of I, I I'm, I'm horrible at maths there's like a term for it in in a mathematic equation where it's like this very strict like you're working in your interest and the group's interest mm -hmm. so as long as those two things are mutually true that's where you get like real kind of cooperation and symbiosis mm -hmm. and it sort of definitely informed my thinking a little bit um and and it, it's kind of what we're trying to build towards here um 
And again, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier. So, yeah, just to finish on that, um, what we're now designing is is this animal structure. We're rebuilding it and expanding it a little bit so that there's a kind of a, the chickens and the goats, their living conditions are expanded and, 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 and grown out a little bit. I want to, we're going to roof the whole area. Uh, right now, the chicken house especially only has a kind of like a temporary plastic roof in it, but we're going to expand out that roof, roof in the whole area, and give it that double function of being an area to dry our coffee for the for the coffee process. Right, because that was one of the difficulties of this last season was finding drying space. Finding drying space. And so now it really will be the centerpiece of the farm, this um, depot, the coffee put the pulp in through the top of the animal system, put the green coffee that's post-fermentation, pre-de-shelling and, and roasting up onto the roof for it to dry. Um, and we've even, which I haven't talked about yet, found another, Jeremy had this like brilliant uh, idea. We've um, designed and made out of an old metal barrel uh, a way of turning the coffee shells. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the biochar we're doing now. Yeah, so the coffee shells are very interesting byproducts. So the coffee pulp is easy to, to deal with. It's this lovely juicy uh, material that with a bit of carbon turns into lovely compost and, and worms love it as well, actually. Um, but the coffee shells, um, they're, how can I describe this? They're like dry and sort of like silicone-y. They're somewhat... Um, they're somewhat hydrophobic, I've noticed. So mm-hmm. when you see them, you're like, oh, it's just like, you know, rice bran or... Um, or rice hulls. Or, or, sorry, rice... Or wheat hulls. Or... Yeah, you know, it's just like the hull or like of, of a kind of a grain. It's going to be like a great going, yeah. mulch or a great carbon source. But it isn't really. They're not that absorptive. They're somewhat hydrophobic. So when you try to mulch them or use them in a composting toilet or whatever, they just don't really do that job very well of, of absorbing of moisture. absorbing moisture which yeah, is always what yeah. you want for your carbon source um and so even though a lot of uh products from from waste products from agriculture are like in generally wasted this one is particularly not valued mm, <laughs> you know, people because really, of that difficulty yeah people don't know what to do with it and you know as you say it's like worldwide this is like huge huge industry um so what we've what we started to do is you know, making biochar is easy, right? Like you, you basically light a fire and cut the oxygen off, and mm-hmm. and, and and you get this mineralized carbon. Yeah. But kind of as permaculturalists, this that didn't really sit that well with me and Jared, because it's like, well, I, I don't want to just light a fire to make biochar. I want to use that that heat in another way. So it's actually Jared's idea, and he he got so obsessed with it for like a couple. Yeah, of weeks. right. So we had this recycled barrel that we had previously used for a rocket stove and oven yeah. combo that we built in a previous workshop. Right. And I pulled it down because there were some issues with it, and quite frankly, we put it in a place that we weren't going to use it yeah. in. So all of the mud that we uh, used for making this stove oven combo is in the walls of our house right now. Right. Which is a great way to repurpose that. Yeah. So we were left with that uh, converted barrel that could easily be used as a Yeah, like a converted barrel with, um, what do you call it, like the bars of iron. Uh, which is like oven grills. Oven grills, yeah, yeah. there you go. Um, so sort of like a, a big 200 liter metal drum with, uh, with, um, with an oven grill. And what we do actually is we just we built a little fire pit that it kind of sits on top of and it doesn't, it seals, but doesn't seal completely. So air kind of escapes. 
And so we light a fire around it. We stuff it with these uh, coffee shells, these dry coffee shells, and we put some meat up on the up on the upper part of it um, that we want to smoke. So we put the meat, we wrap it in tin foil, um, and it cooks with this like delicious smoky flavor. So we've done so far, we've done like a few lambs, or sorry, a few goats. Um, we actually did do some lamb as well because uh, we traded some of our young male goats for uh, for a lamb. Um, we do shads, chickens, um, you know, as we continue to produce more meat, really, like, I think this is just the way we're going to cook meat. But what we end up with at the end of it is... Uh, is it's bi biochar. And just amazing biochar, mm. really powdery, um, really, really high quality. We just, afterwards, we just, like, um, sort of mash it up another little bit, and in no time it turns into just pure powder. Um and so that again goes into the same system. It, it cycles through this animal composting system, goes straight into the chicken house. And that I feel like cumulatively, if we keep doing that, the 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 effect on the quality of our compost and soil is, is huge, you know, because for me, like, I think biochar is, I think it's a little bit of a buzzword these days, you know, and like, it's not a magic bullet for sure. But if you've got this diverse um, kind of, uh, or this, this, this way of making compost from a really diverse uh, mixture of sources. And you can add, um, you know, biochar that, that you make yourself, you know, into that process. The, the quality of the compost has just improved enormously, especially here in the tropics again, because I talk about this all the time, the difficulty of keeping the organic or keeping the carbon content in your soil up high it's a challenge you know and this is like this is mineralized carbon this is an inert material that will just go in and act like a sponge so i'm really excited to see the effect of that on our garden on our property on and on the wider community as we sort of like scale this this project up so of course i'm also excited to try and make bread in this in this thing next time around. that'll be interesting to see if you can make bread without it getting that smoky flavor yeah um we might have to get different pans just from my experience yeah. of it working in a bakery. Yeah, and I'm but sure it could definitely work. This is like a prototype model. But well, one thing I liked, at least from the cooking perspective, and Jer pointed this out pretty early, by having the biochar um, kind of roasting on the bottom, it prevents like this concentrated heat source from the fire, like over burning the oven from the bottom. Yeah. And it disperses it out because it's almost like an insulative layer. And so the the heating is actually a lot more even, even than it would be if you had this like spot heat from a fire. For sure. Just For sure. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an amazing. You couldn't have planned that. <laughs> and then the thing off gases, so you know, because the drum doesn't seal hermetically or anything. Right. Um, <clears throat> the 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 gas that comes out actually goes, and sort of every like, sort of two or three minutes, you just get a little. Like and it's a little burp, a little burp, and it just it it it, it fuels the fire, you yeah, know. So it's yeah, like yeah. this really nice, uh, really nice little system, and and again, just like I feel like just like all the all the really good systems that you design, it's like the best thing about it is its simplicity. You know? Right. It's like so. Easy. Well, one thing I'm really looking forward to is before I leave, I'm definitely going to be shooting a lot of video of this place. Yeah, we need videos. And of that's the thing that we haven't sure. <clears throat> quite yet done. So uh, for those of you interested, look forward to some tours of this farm here and also some mini tutorials on all of these systems that Niels just talked about, a little tour of the cafe restaurant and the systems that we've had in place and that are continually maturing. So keep an eye out for that for sure. Oh, yeah. And OK, so um, that's like uh, 
that's probably a good place to like wrap it up for the farm why don't you know why don't you tell me a little bit about your plans for like the next i guess the next couple of months and just the the, the direction you see abundant edge going in yeah so um there's a lot of different enterprises that I can see feeding into each other as one of the inspirations of working in these living systems on the farm over the last year is trying to figure out how enterprises in any business can follow this kind of cyclical model where uh, multiple enterprises link in with one another and uh, feed and benefit each other with the functions that they were already doing, you know? So because this podcast has come a long way, actually, this is episode 100. So those of you who have been with us up until now, thank you so much for listening and supporting us. Um, I've got fantastic sponsors who I love working with. We've crossed over 30,000 listeners and I just am so grateful for all the people who have supported and, and kept this thing running. I didn't have any ambitions that it would get this large when I started it. Honestly, I just wanted to have all these conversations with amazing people myself. But, um, so this has grown and, and taken on a life of its own, and I definitely continue um, to to incrementally improve it and uh, figure out new ways to get better and better information out. And so one of the the ideas that I came up with is having another platform to uh, highlight and exemplify great examples of regenerative projects around the world. And since I've been traveling for almost 14 years now. Um, it's, it's something that I've gotten good at, and I've seen amazing examples all over the world of people doing really, really inspiring work. And many of them are focused enough on what they're doing that they don't have like a social media presence or a way of getting their information out there and helping other people who could be inspired by their initiatives because it's so much more than farming and gardening and natural building. It's, you know, community action. It's it's political action. Um, I've seen people working on waterway regeneration and uh, city and suburban infrastructure redevelopment and on and on and on. And so I'm going to be going along through the travels that I have planned and highlight these projects that people don't know about yet but have really inspiring initiatives and great knowledge to share. So that's another thing for people who are uh, interested to follow up on. Uh, I'm going to start by making videos of the projects here around the lake and then I'm going to do a little tour around Guatemala to some of the more remote areas and uh, places around Antigua and the city that are doing great projects and then in May I'm going to be traveling up through southern Mexico and the west coast of the United States and eventually uh, stopping off for a couple months to visit family because I haven't had the chance to get out of here and visit family in nearly two years Oof, yeah, yeah. And it's almost four since I've been to Ireland. Three and a half. Yeah. Well, you're fortunate. You've had uh, more and more of your family visiting Coming too. To visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, to their credit, my younger brother Arthur and and my mom have come out to visit as well. So it's going to be great to go back and see them. But I'm really also looking forward to this trip all the way up. So I want to actually put it out there to all of you who are listening now. If you have a project or if you know of someone who does between Guatemala. Uh, Mexico and the west coast of the United States. I would love to get in touch with, with you, with your projects, any representatives, and see if we can make a little stop off to highlight your project and get it out to a wider audience, the amazing work that you're doing. 
So please contact me directly at info at AbundantEdge.com. And uh, I look forward to being in touch and, you know, maybe we can work something out. Aside from that, uh, I'm going to be working a lot on developing Abundant Edge as this consortium of designers, consultants, and educators and service providers. So anyone who's doing regenerative work at a professional level is going to be able to highlight their services and find a new access to market. And we're going to be working on developing kind of like a rating system, not so much uh, kind of like um, I'm sure people know like Angie's List and a few of those other online services that rate and accredit workers and and put them out to a marketplace that can be verified. And I want to really do that for the regenerative economy and for service providers along uh, community, individual, and and ecosystem regeneration initiatives. There's so many of them out there, and it's, I think it would just benefit the whole community to have a platform that we could go to, find out anyone in your area who's doing this type of work, get in touch with them either on like a design consulting or project implementation basis, and know that they have this sort of support network backing them up. So let's say you're, um, you're a permaculture designer but you have very little interest in doing all the client relations, like the me. invoice. Yeah, exactly. So this is where I came up with the ideas, working with you guys and seeing what aspects of the job are more than anything kind of getting in the way of your creative process. Right. And to have, support, uh, yeah, to have support along those areas would free you up to do the parts that you're really yeah. good at and make sure that the that the clients are happy and that kind of the mundane aspects of this work get finished yeah i don't even i'm not i'm not even really able to answer emails (laughs) (laughs) if you want to get in contact with me contact oliver (laughs) and really that's how it's been working so far a lot of people have contacted um, my platforms directly to even come and volunteer with the farm or to find more information on the the courses that we offer uh, in collaboration with ourselves and Atilan Organics. And to have a single place where people can find the information that they need and get in touch with people who are hard to access, I just see this benefiting everybody. So I'm going to be working with more and more consultants, designers, service providers to, to launch this platform and really make it easy for you people out there uh, who are looking for these services and support on your projects to have a single place to go and very, very reputable practitioners Mm -hmm. to give you the support that you need. So between that and hopefully by the end of the year, with all of the filming that I'm going to be doing at these regenerative projects around the world, I'm going to look to launch an online learning platform with, uh, with courses and support material so that those of you who either don't have it in your budget to travel or don't have the time or maybe even not the, um, the funds to take a week or two week course, those can get expensive. Uh, we'll have access to all the information that you can work on at your own pace and at a much, much lower access point as far as budget and, and time. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to look at all the different ways that I can get resources and information out to people um, directly through consultants and designers uh, and different platforms to access education and see 
that the regeneration is well underway. Yeah. We're, we're not even in the beginning of this. There are pioneers, there are amazing practitioners yeah. who have been pioneering this for a really long time, uh, have dialed in their systems, and quite frankly, all this information can be accessible and, are usually, and useful to and you are wherever you are. just actually dying to share that information. They sure, don't but either don't have the time or access or to the, the platforms. Platform. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I see this as an opportunity to use the skills that I've built yeah. um, through the podcast, through the online work that I've done, highlighting portfolios of amazing work and showing more people how they can get access to that information. Brilliant. Yeah. So I'm super excited about our continuing collaboration. Yeah, me too. Um, the, the demonstration and educational capacity of this farm is amazing, not only in you know the, the Westerners and, and the tourists who come through to learn new skills, but how much this is extending out into the local community and having an effect on uh, and growers and the local economy here in, in Guatemala. Um, that's something that, you know, I love that you guys have taken on the responsibility and, and uh, the lifestyle change to be here and to, to invest your efforts on the ground and in this community. Um, having that aspect of what we do as a team is, is amazing. And then, you know, as I move out and expand the reach around the world, we'll have an increasing collection of knowledge, of experience that anyone can tap into and yeah. access. I'm super excited for this upcoming year. Wonderful. Wonderful. Cool. So if anybody was uh, excited about that, likes the ideas that we're talking about, would like to get involved, would like to either come out here and volunteer on the farm, take one of the courses that we offer with Atitlan Organics, um, or follow the videos that I'll be making and my travels in the next couple of months, you can keep in touch with us through all of the resources that we have at AbundantEdge.com and can contact us directly through the email info at AbundantEdge.com as well. We're really looking forward to hearing from you uh, and collaborating in all of these amazing initiatives that that we're doing and that we're that we're collaborating Hell to yeah. with other people. And uh, yeah, I was only partially joking about the emails. Anyone who wants to get in touch, probably best to do so through the Abundant Edge platform. But I will <laughs> promise you, I'll take the time and always psyched to have. People. You've been pretty good about it. I'm, I'm getting better. Replying to the stuff that I forward you. I'm pretty. I'm getting better. And uh, of course, to. Um, yeah, the we have a nice volunteer program here. Fun vibes. Anyone who wants to come and lend energy to this project, I'm super, super psyched. To, yeah, the to have you. the amazing people who have come through and helped us develop this farm to the point that it is. We're so grateful to all of you. It's been so much fun to to learn and work alongside you, and oh, yeah. been inspired by, by all the uh, energy and even the skills that people have brought that oh, yeah. I never would have expected. Yeah, it's been so much fun. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, again, thank you to all of you who have supported us through a hundred episodes. It's blowing my mind. I had no idea that we'd come this far with this. Um, so we're, we're very appreciative to the support and we look forward to, uh, to keeping in touch and continuing to put out good information that hopefully brings value to, to your own experience. Oh yeah. Thanks for listening, folks. It's been a pleasure. We'll see, see you, you on the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life 
by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we share. I'm very grateful to all of you who have added comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at abundantedge.com. And all of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again in next week's session.